This is Cast, a podcast about the most infamous band in rock history, Motley Crue. Your resident crew head, Jason, here. What's going on, my fellow crew head? Thanks for uh, listening to the podcast. Hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, and hey, tell a fellow crew head about Crewcast. I'm finishing my countdown from least favorite to most favorite Motley Crue albums. As I said in the previous episode, this is studio albums only in their original version. Don't forget, if you want to join any of the Q&As or polls available on Spotify only, because it's the only platform that allows it, not my choice, theirs, but it's a pretty cool thing. Appreciate everyone that's been throwing up uh, questions, comments, and stuff like that. I read them out here on the podcast, and hey, let's keep it going. All right, what would it be coming in at number, well, give it to Vince Neil. Well, that brilliance of... Home Sweet Home. Yeah, even though one of my all-time favorite cruise songs, Theater of Pain, only came in at number five for me. And when I say only, look, I love all these albums. But, uh, you know, the album, even Nikki Six himself, you know, there's, they were kind of at the height of a lot of their drug use and stuff like that. But this album so much put them on a map as headliners. I remember being a kid going and seeing Home Sweet Home on MTV. Of course, it got on the top of Total Request when MTV still played music videos. They may now. I don't give a shit. But that song and that video just put them in the lexicon of pop culture. And really, it was the power ballad that came out that after that, every band seemed to have to do one. Originally released in uh, June 21st, 1985. I still got one of these things on. uh, I still got, gosh, I think three copies on vinyl, but one in good condition. Of course, as far as the uh, critical reception of it, it it differed. Uh, People Magazine praised Mick Mars' work, which it should. Uh, I mean, Mick Mars, if you really listen over every Motley Crue song, does just such amazing stuff of filling the songs out and making them that much better than they were already written. Uh, but People Magazine in 1985 went on to slam Vince Neil's vocals and Nikki Six's songwriting. They took the brunt of the criticism for this. But the Los Angeles Times, though, declared that uh, Six's lyrics, including some well-phrased lines, but ultimately the Declared the album not so good. I disagree. There's a lot of fun stuff. I know Nikki Six has even come back and said that there wasn't so many great tunes. They had to utilize Smoking in the Boys Room, which is a great cover. You know, Brownsville Station, right? Great freaking tune. Uh, but there's other songs that I really loved on this album. In addition, of course, Home Sweet Home. I also really liked Louder Than Hell, another one of those uh, songs that I go back and listen to all the time. And... Even though it's not necessarily everyone's uh, cup of tea, I really did keep your eye on the money, more so for the production that they did. Another time on another episode, because there is a lot of interesting things concerning Tom Warman, but uh, he did something cool, like on Keep Your Eye on the Money, they had that cool bridge in there, and when they come out of it, they add a shaker that really pushes a song along with the drums, as well as the bass line that I thought was really cool. Right? Gives it that cool vibe into the solo. I know. Some of you are surprised. How is Dr. Feelgood number four on his all-time favorite Motley Crue records? Uh, It just is. Personal choice, guys. Right? Personal choice. But, of course, man, first time I heard the song, much like so many of you, it was Headbangers Ball, the debut of the Dr. Feelgood song. You know, the cool 
a whole intro, the camera swooping towards the circus tent and everything else. My brother, my cousin and I glued to the set and we were just in fucking awe of like, whoa, Motley Crue is just the baddest band on the planet. But there's a reason for uh, Dr. Feelgood being my number four of all time. And of course, as I get to number three, you'll maybe understand why, at least from my perspective. Some of you are, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Greatest Motley Crue album of all time. But all right, I digress. So anyways, I mean, come on, Dr. Feelgood, how could you not love it? Kickstart my heart, one of the all-time anthems, same old situation, great stuff. Uh, She Goes Down. I got a personal story about that, and so that song kind of has a bit of a memory for me as well. And of course, uh, Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away. So many great songs, Time for Change and stuff like that. It was really a great album front to back. And there is nothing that uh, I take away from it. It is solely at number four because the top three albums had more pinpoint moments in my personal life and what was going on with me and how music really got me through some difficult times. I love this album. It is one of the all-time great albums in rock history. Bob Rock did such an amazing job producing it. The band was on fire. Of course, they had a long streak of sobriety. They went all the way to Vancouver to record this thing, got out of L.A., and it was really just one of those rock masterpieces that um, that you just have to love. Of course, Motley Crue's only number one album, which is a travesty in itself, but just brilliant stuff. And so many cool uh, additional musicians that were on it. I mean, Bob Rock did some music playing himself. Steven Tyler showed up uh, to do some background vocals. Brian Adams, Jack Blades, so many different talented people. Um, Robin Zander, Rick Nielsen. And the list goes on and on and on. So some really cool stuff. And when I get more into each individual album, I'll go into that all with it. But this is just on the tunage itself as it relates to where I was at in my life at that time. Dropping on number three on my countdown from least favorite to most favorite Motley Crue albums. Girls, girls, girls. I'll just fill it, right? That great driving bass and everything else. Anyways, girls, 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 why does it hit number three for me? Well, I was a little bit older at the time. Motley Crue had already found its way into my psyche and attitude as a young man. And when I say young, I mean adolescence. But uh, a totally badass album, man. I mean, really, you know, went from the headlining with Theater of Pain to now becoming probably the biggest band in the world at that time. Came out May 15th, 1987. Girls, 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 you're all I need. Wild Side and so many more. Of course, Tom uh, Werman produced this album as well, along with Shout Out the Devil and Theater of Pain. It goes quadruple platinum and reached number two, number two on the Billboard 200. What the fuck, people? How was this not a number one album? This album was amazing. As for me, this album had such a cool blues feel to it, and being such a fan of Mick Mars' guitar playing, it seemed more prominently than it did in uh, Theater of Pain, and really it just was that brilliant shining through. So many cool songs. Uh, I mean, I love Wild Side. I love Girls, Girls, Girls. Dancing on Glass, I think, is a totally underrated song. 
And interestingly enough, of course, Nona, that was a song that is, even though just kind of a short little thing, it made me go, wow, there's a different sensitive side. And, you know, what's this about? And, of course, we'll talk on that another time. But, you know, Nikki Six with his grandma and just some brilliant stuff. And also, hey, Jailhouse Rock, what a cool cover. And I know I said I wouldn't do too much as far as covers, but it was on the album and uh, just great stuff. Really, I couldn't get enough of the riffage. This album had just such cool riffage and I think showed so much of the brilliance of that. And I thought that Vin and I thought that Tommy Lee and Nikki Six were so dialed in on this album that it was like a huge drum core, just that driving rhythm. And you started to see Nikki Six stretch his legs a lot as a bass player as well. And you know you're singing along. I want to, but I wouldn't torture you guys with it. Yeah, coming in at number two for me on the all-time list of my countdown from my least favorite to most favorite Motley Crue albums, November 10th, 1981. It was released Too Fast for Love, the debut album for Motley Crue. Of course, the first edition, 900 copies were released. And then, of course, Electra Records signed the band, remixed, uh, partially re-recorded, and some different artwork and everything else came out. And there you go, man. It's just, it's one of those albums, like, how do you not love it? It was so ratty, so just, like, the vibe of it and everything else. It just incorporated everything that it was supposed to at that time that took Motley Crue on their journey. I have probably the best first album release for my taste of any band in music history. And I mean that. And I'm a Beatles fan, too, guys. So I mean that. But uh, when I was a kid... I heard my number one first, which you guys probably can guess what that is. And then I heard this album and I used to sleep on my older brother's bunk bed, make him play Too Fast for Love and he would fall asleep and I would turn it over and over and over and listen to this album to like four or five in the morning, having to get up to go to elementary school at like 6 6 a.m. I'm awake for this stuff. But there's something about it. I was going through a hard time. Uh, unfortunately, in my household, there was uh, my father had substance abuse, and the music of Motley Crue it just made me feel not alone. Yeah, I was a young kid; I was like seven, eight years old, or something like that. But whatever it was about it, and I was able to kind of connect with my brother there, who's four years older. And so, for me, when I hear this, I think about being that kid that all of a sudden felt at peace when I didn't feel comfortable at home and I didn't feel comfortable when I was out in public and around other kids. I was just an odd dude that didn't quite feel like he fit anywhere. So here in Livewire, Public Enemy number one, Merry Go Round, Take Me to the Top, Piece of Your Action, Too Fast for Love, and On With the Show, all of it, Starry Eyes, everything on that album just made me not feel alone anymore. And, you know, I know when Nikki Six talks about music, he says that a lot, that like, oh, you know, it gave me like a companion piece. And that's what this album did for me, why it fell at number two. It would have been number one, but there's a reason it's not. All right, well, you guessed it, I'm sure. My number one favorite Motley Crue album of all time, Shout at the Devil. I was really just getting into music a lot at this point, all over the place. Uh, My brother was a total metalhead, 
everything from Metallica and Iron Maiden and every and all that. I was really into Prince at that time, still a huge Prince fan. But on one special night, my cousin Nicole, Nikki, yeah, she came over and she brought this album in and said, okay, we got to listen to this quietly later. So her, my brother, and myself pile into my brother's room. She pulls out of her bag like, you know, we were doing something dangerous here. Pulls out the Motley Crue Shout Out the Devil album. Of course, has that black satin pentagram on it. She opens up the album cover, and I see four dudes that I just think are the coolest and scariest fucking thing I had ever seen. Well, she drops the needle on Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil, and as we've all heard, in the beginning starts. Now, picture you're like six years old and you hear that, right? I had never heard anything like that. I was a shy kid. Still, I'm a shy adult. But it just like put this fright in me of like danger and this ominous thing, and it made me feel like there was something really big and like powerful out there. And then once those first chords of Shout at the Devil kicked in, I was hooked on Motley Crue. This is where it started for me. Shout at the Devil was the first album I heard from Motley Crue. We listened to that thing straight through, front to back, a couple of times, and I just could never get enough of the crew. So going from Shout at the Devil to Looks the Kill, probably my all-time favorite Motley Crue song. We can argue that, but I will say when I was learning to play guitar, and I'm a terrible guitar player, it was the first riff that I just had to figure out. I sat there with people over and over until I got down looks that kill, because I needed it to sound like McFucking Mars, man. My all-time favorite guitar player. Followed by, of course, Bastard, God Bless the Children of the Beast, Helter Skelter, having grown up, my mom being a Beatles fan, hearing that cover version of it, and just, it was so different, like, blew me away. Red Hot, Too Young to Fall in Love, Knock Em Dead Kid, 10 Seconds to Love, Danger. That is an album that you put on front to back, am I right, my fellow crew head? It's just one of the best albums ever in hard rock history. Tom Worman also produced this album. The one thing that kind of bums me out about the album that I like hearing the live tracks from is Nikki Six's bass lines are mixed so damn low on it that it's hard to hear it sometimes, which is a total bummer. Uh, but also, you know, hey, during the recordings, Nikki Six was in a serious car crash. Uh, he drunkenly stole his friend's Porsche. And, you know, the car crash obviously caused Nikki Six some um, shoulder injuries. So, you know, him going in there on like Oxycontin and some other stuff um, probably didn't make the best uh, transition for him to try to play bass at that time. And unfortunately, it was the antithesis that led to uh, Nikki Six's heroin addiction. Shout the Devil kicked Motley Crue into a totally different level, touring with Ozzy, playing on 1984's Monsters of Rock Festival with Van Halen and ACDC, and so much more that went down. So for me, my all-time favorite Motley Crue album is Shout at the Devil. Well, I hope you guys had a pretty cool list of your least favorite to most favorite studio albums from Motley Crue. Please, uh, I've got a Q&A if you're listening on Spotify that you can participate in. Tell me your least favorite to your most favorite, the nine studio albums only, guys. So, uh, hey, 
drop them there. I thank you guys for listening. If you got any feedback or questions, comments, let me know. Don't forget to hit me up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Crewcast, that's all you got to do is search Crewcast. Follow, like, subscribe, throw some stuff my way, suggestions for topics. Again, this was really a personal one. Uh, I will give more research as I do different topics and things that are coming up. There is a poll up that I have put up at Instagram of four different areas that I'm asking if you guys would like the next episode. You guys pick it. I'll always do what I can to let you guys choose what topics I put out there. This was voted a 60% in the poll asked, hey, my countdown from least favorite to most favorite Motley Crue album. So thank you, Crewhead, for participating in that. And on that note, uh, Crewheads are best. Fuck the rest. Have a rockin' one. <laughs>